Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's been over a week of hellish physical endurance. The Omars have been rowing day and night, exerting every last drop of energy to get their muscles to obey. They're wet, they're salty, and they're really, really tired. I was taking the shift that was six to eight in the morning, which is the last shift of the night time. And it was a particularly cold shift. I remember it was the only time that half an hour before my shift ended, I had the very strong thought of knocking the door behind me and telling Omar, listen, I'm going to jump in with you because it's just really cold. I was shivering. They had already tolerated so much since the start of the row. Omar Samra had to cope with an extreme bout of seasickness and Omar Noor had to pick up extra shifts. And now, on this last night, the conditions are anything but kind. You have 20 minutes to get on the oars. It's nighttime, your shoes are outside, they're wet. You just finished sleeping on a wet sheet and a wet t-shirt for a pillow. Everything hurts and it's horrendous. They are malnourished and extremely sleep deprived at this point. They knew it would be tough. They prepared for the worst. But then the bad things seemed to keep coming. Their batteries wouldn't charge fast enough, meaning they couldn't desalinate enough drinking water and they couldn't rely on their autopilot steering. It was like the harder their bodies worked, the more pressure the universe put on them. Then, just when things couldn't get any worse, their boat began to turn over, suspended at an angle. And eventually, it capsized. All I can say about this experience is it will find your weakness. If you are not prepared, if you don't have knowledge, if you have a physical, emotional issue, anything that you think it's not a big deal, it won't matter. It will itch and itch and itch until it becomes raw. And you will be forced to deal with it head on. Their stress, 
and then their stress. It's safe to say you know at least one of them. The kind that gnaws away at you gradually as a deadline approaches, for example, or when you're swamped with chores. Most likely, it's both at the same time. Last time, we spoke to the Omers about the psychological toll of survival during a desperate situation. But even before they capsized, they had already been going through immense physical stress. Their bodies were pressured to perform non-stop, each for 12 hours a day. And on top of it all, they still had to actually function, make food, and clean the solar panels. How is this even possible? It turns out, there may be an actual objective reason why Omar and Omar were able to endure this extreme degree of stress upon stress. In this episode, we break down the physical manifestation of stress and the mental gymnastics of tolerating it. I am Lubna Munib, and you're listening to State of Mind, a deeper dive into the chilling true story of survival documented in the film Beyond the Raging Sea. State of Mind is produced by Kerning Cultures Network, and this episode is supported by Metavisionaries. Episode 3. 12-hour rowing shifts. Today's episode comes from producer Ben Barqawi. Think of the most common advice you hear when you go to a friend or a doctor to take a load off your mind. Rest well, eat healthy, exercise, right? It's not wrong, but it can also be simplistic. In the case of the Omars, living on a boat for what would have been weeks on end doesn't exactly grant them the luxury of a wholesome meal or a good night's sleep. A lot of their stress-coping strategies had to be planned ahead of time. What a strange human habit to actually plan to be stressed out. I got into this with the Omars because I wanted to wrap my mind around how any two people could intentionally withstand this much stress. For starters, I asked them to explain to me how they prepared for the journey. The preparation... Uh, phase has to be very rigorous, has to be long, has to be intense, and has to be very deep. And that's um, a very strong way of like mitigating things. We know when you're doing this, all this practice, it's also very important to um, simulate the experience as much as you can. When we first got on a, a rowing machine, like I did like five, 10 minutes on the oars, and I was like, wow, that's a lot. You know, how am I going to do 12 hours a day for, for like, you know, many weeks? We all know that what happened to us out in the ocean is it is literally impossible to train for. You cannot train for that, right? So what do you do? So we used to do a lot of things like like the what-if game, right? What if this happens? What if we capsize and we don't self-right? What if you get hurt? What if I get hurt? What if you're tired? What if you're seasick? And this stuff happened. So, for example, when I went off to climb Mount Everest, I was climbing other mountains. So I would go climb um, in Scotland highlands in the winter to simulate those kind of atrocious conditions. We would try to spend do an expedition where you would be spending a long time, um, you know, camping on expedition away from home. So that would give you that peace, the the loneliness, the the mind chatter, the dealing with all of that stuff. You progressively increase the load physically and mentally that includes this mental stress we started off our first row was in the river and my god was that an adventure 
slowly you start going out into the sea, right? And you do longer and longer expeditions. It was like the first one was like one overnight. The second one was like three overnights. And along with this, you learn experiences, right? You have gained experience causing the experience to be less stressful. You have to do like an inordinate amount of preparation until the thing that you're about to do starts to feel like second nature. And your systems, your internal body basically starts to become very accustomed to it, that the perception of risk and the perception of exertion and potentially like danger that you will face becomes somewhat normalized. Omar Samra is an adventurer and Omar Noor is a former professional triathlete. But remember, neither was an expert rower or anything of the kind. As much training as they did mentally and physically, they always knew that when the time came, there was little they could do to prevent the aches and pains, the misery of it all. I'm a professional athlete. We compete super hard. It's very painful for a very short period of time. And then you shower and go back to your hotel. So I had never been put in front of a mountain of that size. But the way the ocean row was... Um, structured was that Omar and I were on the oars two hours at a time and the changeover between each shift was literally like seconds. There are teams that outright completely fell out with each other in the ocean because one guy would be late for five minutes. So that means that the other guy has to row an extra five minutes or even an extra minute. And that minute seems very long when you've already been on the oar for two hours. Who knew a minute could be this excruciating? This got me thinking, when Omar Samra fell violently ill in those first few days, how Omar Noor was able to take on not an extra minute or five or ten on the oars, but hours. You know, my longest time on the oar was seven hours straight, right? So it's a huge physical stress. But in many ways, I was doing it not for me. I was doing it for, I have to take care of, I have to take care of us. We'll get into the Omar's camaraderie in a future episode. But it occurred to me just how critical their mental training must have been alongside their physical training. Omar Noor tells me about a strategy he learned from swimming. One of the ways is you start to continuously have a conversation in your head continuously about what you are doing and focusing not on the outcome, but on the process. The outcome uh, is largely outside of your hand. I know, for example, that when I get tired, my elbow drops. Okay, so I'm going to say, keep your elbow high. Finish your stroke. Finish it all the way. Good job. Uh, Keep your elbow high. Finish the stroke. Yeah, uh, make sure that you do it. And you start to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And you know I love to talk, right? So you're talking a lot. And the next thing you know, the negative thoughts cannot creep in because you're jamming the channel. And the repetitive behavior in itself may also be useful. Some research suggests that repetition or ritualistic habits can help induce calm in unpredictable situations. But how long could the Umars actually get by on this, on repetitive mantras and self-soothing? Through that repetition, you're able to clear your head and get to a different space. So while I agree with that premise generally in my life, I don't think, for me at least, I don't think it really, um, it really rang true on that crossing. I feel like I'd be lying if I said that there was anything about the row that was um, soothing in any way, like in terms of the chores and tasks. 
I think because everything is happening in a very unstable environment. So, you, you know, you're trying to clean the solar panels, but you're worried that, like, if you get off balance, you might tip over and fall into the ocean. And then Ahmed brings something to my attention that I hadn't considered before. I don't think we ended up getting the benefits of that row in that sense because we capsized on, you know, day eight or nine. Like, we, we were always told that, you know, your body for the first 10 days are the worst. And then eventually your body understands that there is now this new normal. The body is like amazing at adapting to so many things that you can never imagine beforehand. So we never really got that piece. By and large, like our time was hyper stressful all the time. So how much time is considered too much time for someone to be stressed? What happens in our physiology that determines who can handle what type of stress and how much of it? I spoke to a neurobiologist for this. Can I just get a, a, a bite of you introducing yourself, your full name and your title? Of course, yeah. My name is Christoph Anneker. I'm an assistant professor of neurobiology at the Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Anneker's research explores stress resilience, what makes someone more or less vulnerable to stress. To understand this better, he first walked me through the science of stress in the brain and body. When we experience acute stress, then we initially get this raise of adrenaline levels in our blood. First of all, they make our hearts pound, they make us more vigilant and more aroused. And then we also get a raise of stress hormones in our blood. And these stress hormones, they're actually initially good for us because they actually help our body mobilize more energy. What we know as the fight or flight response. But the problem starts when this type of stress response lasts for a very long time. Because then these, these constantly high stress hormone levels that we experience, they can actually damage our brain cells and they can disturb neural connections in our brain. And they can actually also cause inflammation in our brain, almost a little bit like an infected wound on your skin. Generally, our brains are actually not really evolve to deal with this long period of stress. But this chronic type of stress is really something that that is in a way very new to us because our society evolved so much quicker than uh, our brain has evolved. What does this mean for the Omars? I told Dr. Anneker about their journey, how physically demanding it was. So you can help me better understand the toll that constant stream of stress would have taken on them. After several days of this physical exhaustion that you described and no opportunity to recover during sleep or by providing our body with food, this type of stress would have really started to turn around on them and ultimately would have affected their ability to think and to make decisions. And it would have also actually affected their mood in a way because we know that um, when we're experiencing stress, whether it's physical stress or psychological stress, it can actually cause a form of what we say is behavioral despair. Behavioral despair? The concept that um, you are facing a very challenging situation, but instead of fighting because you know you will get out of that situation eventually, you will show despair and you will basically start to give up. And uh, generally, that is really what distinguishes um, someone who is vulnerable from someone who is resilient. What distinguishes someone indeed? Vulnerable, resilient, average, from the Omars in this case. 
Hardcore athletes or avid adventurers, they obviously train their bodies for many, many years. And through this type of training, they're basically able to deal with stress better because they expose themselves again and again to a little bit of controllable stress. And they can cope with that stress if they keep a clear mind, if they stay calm, and if they find a way to analyze the situation rationally instead of panicking or instead of losing control. And this is something that we as stress researchers refer to as stress inoculation. I think a lot of people romanticize what it is to be a professional athlete. I mean, you have to work. Every single session, you're out there, you're training your body, but you're also training your mind. And good coaches, they recreate the pressure the stressful situation of a race. For example, my swim coach, <laughs> he's evil. Like, let me tell you, he knew how to create stress in non-stressful situations. One of the things is he had a hyperbaric chamber in his house and you go inside the chamber and essentially you take a nap for 30, 30 minutes and it's supposed to increase the oxygenation to uh, the muscles and recovery and whatnot. And he knocked at the at the, at the window and goes, dunk, dunk. And he has a piece of paper because it's loud in there. Piece of paper. It says, do you want to know what your next workout is going to be? Question mark. And he flips the piece of paper and it says, painful. That's it. He has been able to take a regular day of training and cause a lot of stress for me so that when I'm going into it, I, I don't get paralyzed by the stress and I learn how to deal with it. When you're embarking on very big expeditions where there's a lot at stake, um, I think it would surprise people how much calculation and how much thought goes into you know, every little detail. Multiple things are bound to go wrong. They go wrong in every uh, journey. And then once that thing happens, which you actually know that's going to happen, you start to freak out. We knew from previous conversations that it's not just one thing is going to go wrong. It's not like you need a plan B. You need a plan C, D, E, F, and G. When you have that kind of mentality and it, something else kicks in, you fall into the space of, okay, this is, this is what I've been training for. It sounds like a very intentional, very conscious effort of regulating the stress response. But it's not all nurture. There's an element of nature, too. We do know that there are certain genes that can make us either more or less vulnerable to the effects of stress. But vulnerability can also be determined already in the womb, because if a child is being born to a mother who um, is depressed or stressed while she is pregnant, then her high stress hormones and her inflammation that she experiences during that stress, they can actually affect the brain of the unborn child and have really long-lasting effects on how that child's um, brain works throughout its life. So it's almost like different people have different baseline levels of um, stress vulnerability and resilience. And then throughout our lifetime, we can work on shifting that threshold a little bit within that window of, of what we were born with, basically. There's a scene in the documentary Beyond the Raging Sea where Omar and Omar describe the moment they capsized in meticulous detail. And then I just remember taking a big wave. I just felt the boat rise, rise, rise. 
surfing down that wave and then somehow being hit from the back. And exactly at the apex of the wave, we just felt a smack. The boat started to turn, but it started to turn beyond 90 degrees. And once it, once it started turning beyond 90 degrees, I knew that we're going to capsize. It's chaos. Ahmed Nour struggles to find his harness, which is essentially his lifeline. He deploys emergency beacons, but the Ahmeds can't be sure they would actually work. And the life raft, their last hope of survival, wouldn't inflate. And this kind of underscores the entire rescue. It was just this roller coaster of emotion the whole time. Boom! Omar gets like a full body cramp. For the next few minutes, I, you know, forget about me. I'm, 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 I'm going to be useless. You have to remember, I was doing the last shift, so I was already coming off a two-hour shift. It was probably one of the coldest days that we ever experienced. At that point, things became very real, you know, that the chances of survival become much less, that we just needed to just to stay calm. Omar was, was, was hurting, was hurting big time, right? He was so cold and tired, and you could see it. His face was completely white. He wasn't saying a single word, and, 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 and he was just struggling. With, I think, that physical exertion plus the uh, the fear and adrenaline of everything and, and, and the stress, I think, you know, my body kind of uh, capped out for a bit. I remember even telling Omar when we were finally in the raft, like a couple of hours later, I was like, listen, you know, if I don't close my eyes for literally like, you know, two, three, five minutes, uh, I'm done for. Like, I just have to try and extract myself out of the situation somehow and then just kind of almost reset myself. There's definitely something uh, called compound stress because we experience much more discomfort from psychological stress when we are under conditions of high physical stress, just like Omar and Omar were. Generally, we think about physical stress as something that is actually beneficial to us because usually physical stress, I mean, it, you know, it can train our muscles, it releases endorphins into our body that make us feel good. But at the same time, physical stress actually also causes this release of stress hormones into our body, just the same way as psychological stress does. And if we experience both physical stress and psychological stress at the same time, we reach these high and toxic levels of stress hormones much quicker. And the amount of adrenaline that was going through the system ends up crashing. And this is when, when you felt cold and you felt hungry. During, you don't feel any of this stuff, right? But, but afterwards, you start to feel all these things. And during the wait, during that long wait. Figuring out when stress benefits us and when it's going to turn on us is like walking a tightrope. But there's a critical variable that distinguishes good stress from bad. The concept of control is very important when we think about stress because when we, let's say, when we go to the gym or we, we go for a run outside in the park, this is physical stress to us, but it's stress that is controllable. It is stress that we can end whenever we want. It is stress that we start whenever we want it. Because this type of stress can actually improve our cognitive performance. It can make us think better. It can improve our learning and memory abilities. And it can also make us feel better because um, we basically feel stimulated by these positive challenges in a way. And when the bad stress kicked in, the unpredictable kind that was imposed on the Umars during the capsize, you could see how they were sort of finding ways to make the things they couldn't control, well, more controllable. An outside person would look at it and be like, what? You tied a rope 
I could have done that in 20 seconds. But like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but for us in our situation, that was like huge. If I stress you out and, and there's no outcome, and you come back and I stress you out again, no outcome, stress you out, no outcome. That's it. This is when you, you, you go into despair, right? This is when you quit. So you got to look out for it. You got to look out for the small, tiny wins and be like, yeah, that's an outcome. Great. We're moving forward. You know, Amr and I, luckily, we were kind of people who, even though we deal with stressful situations differently in terms of our mannerisms and in terms of our energy, but we both stay largely calm. Omar's thing is to keep talking, right? Is to, is to just keep talking and hearing his thoughts out loud. And my thing is the opposite. I need to go back into myself and observe the situation. If I keep talking or if I'm distracted in conversation, then I'm not present and I'm not able to make good choices. To activate this level of calm, to be able to function amid all the chaos, you can clearly tell the Omar's have a higher stress threshold. Dr. Anneker says this is because of the brain region called the hippocampus. We actually found a few years ago that there are actually new brain cells that are being born in this region of the hippocampus. And these new brain cells, they can actually buffer the impact of stress onto our brain. Brain regions that are important for making decisions or for analyzing situations rationally, as a result of these uh, better neural connections, they um, would basically be able to make decisions much better under conditions of high stress. There was definitely like a high after the road. There was definitely a certain period of time, which was many months, where I just like had a shield. You know, like, whatever happened, whatever storm was brewing, I was just like a, you know, like a Mr. Miyagi. Like, I was just zen all the time, and, yeah, nothing could rattle me. Um, and it's just because it was such a huge perspective maker, this whole thing. The color of the sky was amazing. The food taste is incredible. Everything was beautiful. Life is, is grand. It's fantastic. There are no problems. What problems? Money. What is money, people? Come on. Forget about it. And I can tell you, I was a bit loose and reckless. I was like, you know, I flew everybody. Like, I was like, everybody, come come to Madrid. Everything else paled into insignificance. And, and just sort of daily annoyances of life just became, you know, Okay, sure. Like, I'm sure it's going to be fine, right? Somebody comes in and goes, oh, my God, traffic was a nightmare today. Like, da 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 right? And I'm like, nightmare? You want to know what a nightmare is? A nightmare is being stuck in the middle of the ocean a thousand kilometers from shore with 10-meter waves, 80-kilometer-hour winds. That's a nightmare. You telling me that your traffic is a nightmare? And everybody was like... Whoa, that was intense. And then you you go through different levels of healing and processing and understanding. Just human nature, you know, as time passes, you start a little bit to get rattled by the same things that you used to get rattled by. And you get that same sort of, um, you know, anxiousness about like, you know, taking a wrong turn when you're already late for a meeting or an appointment. And then now you have to, you know, it's just all of a sudden the GPS has just added a half an hour onto your thing. So, yeah, I'm still going to curse at the world or the phone just I used to before, right? 
I was actually a little relieved to learn that they still relate to the quote-unquote real-world kind of stress, just like the rest of us. Because even after hearing their story, those daily burdens we all face, these still felt real and exhausting. The everyday stressors that you and me would experience at a, at a desk job somewhere in, a, in the city, they are of very different quality, right? They are not less dangerous, though, because they can actually slowly creep up on us because they are much more chronic and um, they can slowly start to rewire our brain really without us noticing much in the moment. That's not to say that all that pressure Omar and Omar endured was in vain. Dr. Anneker says that any stress that we experience will be stored as a memory in our brain for a long time. The question then becomes, how long will it be stored and how will it affect us in the future? And how will it, our, how will it affect our response to future stressors later on? If we experience a stressor um, and we actually perceive it as something that we come out of stronger and that actually teaches us a life lesson, for example, then this is almost like a positive um, spin on this stressful event that is being stored in, in our memories. Similarly to any muscle, in, 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 in any muscle, anything that you train, just because you were able to handle it and, and train to get to a certain point does not mean that you stay there forever. It does, however, show you the capabilities of what you can do, which is humongous. I'm hope that I'm not going to be put in a situation like this again. And if, it, if I am, I'm going to be probably affected as badly. It's not like now you're going to be shielded from it. You're going to get to be still hit as hard. But you have this inner peace. There is something deep inside you, even if you're not conscious of it at that specific moment, that knows that everything is eventually going to be all right. Next on State of Mind, the story of sleep, or the lack thereof, when all they had on the boat was a two-hour break at a time. It is the single worst feeling in the world. It is like a ton of bricks are falling on you. You know when people are like, I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck? They're not that far off. It feels horrendous. State of Mind is produced by Kerning Cultures Network, and this episode is supported by Metavisionaries. Metavisionaries is making space economy and frontier technologies more accessible. This year, Metavisionaries partnered with Qatar University and Ice Cubes in a global business sustainability challenge during the FIFA World Cup. You can check out metavisionaries.io or follow Metavisionaries on social media. This episode was produced by Ben Barqawi and our editor is Hebel Sharif. Research and fact-checking by Dina Sabri and sound design by Munzer Al-Hashem. And I'm your host, Lubna Munib. Subscribe to State of Mind if you haven't already. Episodes drop every week. Before you leave the app, please leave us a review. It makes our show more discoverable and we read every single one. Promise.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.